A good process doesn't always mean you're going to make money, but a good process, I would argue, tells you more about in the future if you're going to make money than past performance, just a number in isolation, a percentage in a calendar year, than, than what that number tells you. A good process over time will beget success, and a past performance number is really just a number in a vacuum that is not super useful. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 216 of APM Success. Today, I want to tackle a somewhat thorny topic, and it's not entirely so. I don't remember (laughs) having addressed this before in the 215 prior episodes, and I want to talk about investment performance and portfolio performance. And portfolio performance is very important. If your portfolio does not perform well, if your investments are not making money, you're not going to build wealth in investing, and therefore, ensuring that you're properly positioned for investment growth is table stakes for physicians that want to build wealth. However, this conversation quickly gets complicated for practical and compliance reasons. But today, nevertheless, I'm going to try to give you a little bit of helpful context so that you can ask the right questions when you think about how well your portfolio is doing at a given time, or if you are assessing a potential advisor for prospective investment in the stock market. Today, I'm not going to make any specific recommendations about specific investments. Please talk to a professional before you rely on anything in this podcast. I'm only going to talk a little bit about performance, and this is for illustrative and educational purposes only. Past performance, as you will hear today, is not indicative of future results, which is one of the reasons why you shouldn't bother really asking about it. This topic came about because this week I was having lunch with my associate financial planner, His name is Evan. He's uh, from Houston and was up visiting here in Portland. Periodically, we have these in-person meetups for training, discussing the future, and having fun together. We were at a local pizza joint today in Portland, and Evan was recounting the story. One of his friends found out that he was a financial advisor, and they said, Hey, Evan, how is APM Wealth's portfolio performance, and how does it compare to the S&P 500? One of my favorite derivations of this question often phrased as a rebuttal or a challenge is, why should I hire a financial advisor? They don't usually beat the S&P 500. There are a number of somewhat complex assumptions baked into this postulation that I'm going to largely set aside for the moment, but the heart of this question is fair. And that is, how should investors think about performance? How should they ask about it? How should they do very preliminary due diligence when trying to assess, is an advisor a good fit for them from an investment standpoint? So when I get the question, hey, Justin, tell me about your client's portfolio performance. And I I frequently get this question on an intro call with a prospective new client. I I categorically don't answer the question. (laughs) So uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to know, I'll just tell you what I'm going to tell everybody else in a, a long form format. There's a number of reasons I totally pass on this question. The first is to share about an individual client's performance, there are a number of 
client-specific considerations in terms of time horizon, um, investment risk, and the the way that this client feels about risk and the amount of money that they need to make in order to achieve their goals and a number of other variables that are going to be huge factors in determining the portfolio performance that that client is going to experience. So it's very difficult to either on an individual basis or in aggregate communicate a number about performance that is in any way meaningful to a prospective client. If I was able to do that, it doesn't mean that you would get that performance in the future or that if I was able to deliver a certain performance that it would even be showing that I was competent. (laughs) It also doesn't mean that you would be happy with it. Philosophically, this question is sort of uh, not relevant because the individual circumstances of any particular investor need to govern the way that that investor invests. And so asking about how other clients have done is not useful for a client on a prospective basis. The second reason that I am not a fan of the question of, Justin, tell me about portfolio performance and what I can expect in terms of how your client's portfolios have done. We might call this one the Heraclitus principle. So Heraclitus was an ancient Greek philosopher who has this illustration about a man stepping into a river and he has famously said, no man ever steps into the same river twice for it is not the same river and he is not the same man. This is just kind of a fancy way of saying the same thing I said before, which is that market conditions change. The economy changes. The relative valuations of US versus Europe versus other international developed versus emerging markets, the it's all constantly changing. And it's a complicated interconnected web of variables. And to look at the past and in, imply something about the future is impossible, which is why lawyers <laughs> require advisors to say, past performance is no indication of future results. Rather, instead of asking the questions about performance explicitly, a handful of more relevant questions that you might ask could be, number one, tell me about your investment fees, financial advisor, also known as an expense ratio. How much for the investments that I'm going to be invested in, what is the part of my money that is going to be taken and diverted to the asset manager, the person who's actually buying and selling the stocks or bonds or other holdings? What is the expense ratio? What percent of the total dollars is going to the professional who's buying and selling the securities that underlie whatever bucket or basket of securities we're talking about? Is that a high fee or a low fee? Is it 0.1% or 1% or 3%? Some of these are very low. Some are very high. That's a more relevant question. Another question that you might ask would be, tell me, advisor, your philosophy on investment liquidity. And this is a question I love to address. And frankly, I usually bring it up with prospective clients, even if the clients don't themselves ask, because I not infrequently do investment due diligence on illiquid investments. And here's the way I define liquidity. Can I turn this investment into cash that will be in my checking account in some short period of time, usually within a week? Personally, I have seen liquid investments and illiquid investments. Over the 13 plus years that I've been doing investment due diligence, I've seen a great number of illiquid investments, meaning investments that I can't turn into cash within a week. 
into my checking account because of a quarterly or annual or longer than annual restriction on selling that asset. What that means is if the security is going down, 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 I can't sell it and I can't sell it and I can't sell it and I'm watching it continue to bleed out and bleed out. And if I need the money, I can't get it. Liquidity is important. I would argue it's one of the handful of key, most important things, uh, characteristics about a particular investment. And so are the investments that we are investing in liquid? I would be a proponent of stocks, bonds, ETFs, mutual funds that all have daily liquidity. Uh, Anything like venture capital, private equity, closed-end real estate, anything involving an LP, a limited partnership, where you sign a subscription agreement that says, I am not going to redeem this document except in small parts and over very long time periods, those have significant challenges, and I would call them problems, with access to your own capital. In some cases, that gives the manager an opportunity to earn an outsized return because they don't need to worry about investors trying to get their money back. In many cases, it's an excuse to not give investors money back, and it creates a death spiral (laughs) of losing money. And so that is something to be aware of. What is the liquidity of a given investment? If there's a portion of your portfolio that's illiquid, how much of your portfolio is that? And what is the worst case scenario in terms of a liquidity crunch? For my clients, I am almost all in fully liquid investments. As far as what we manage for our clients, it's all ETFs and all mutual funds that are all daily liquid. And anything that's a longer lockup, we're going to consider very, very carefully and only after careful due diligence. Greetings, listeners. We interrupt this regularly scheduled broadcast to let you know about an upcoming webinar. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard on Thursday, October 19th, I'm hosting a webinar for physicians who are transitioning out of clinical practice. So if you're within five years of selling your practice, bringing on an associate on an ownership track, or in other ways, meaningfully monetizing an existing office-based practice and or a surgery center, this webinar is designed for you. I'll be talking about important operational, financial, and tax planning considerations for transitioning practice owners. It's never too soon to start thinking about these things, but this content is designed for physicians within five years of transition. You can register for this webinar at apmsuccess.com slash webinar, or check out the link in this week's show notes. Hope to see you on October 19th. Another open-ended question that is more useful might be, tell me about your investment process, advisor. Tell me about what resources and what institutions and what companies you partner with in order to create the intellectual capital necessary to manage my money. This will give an advisor a chance to talk about where they custody, what money managers they use, how they actually implement the recommendations that they're making. And this type of open-ended question can be much more productive in terms of you understanding how an advisor is going to enact a given investment strategy. A good process doesn't always mean you're going to make money, but a good process, I would argue, tells you more about in the future, if you're going to make money, than past performance, just a number in isolation, a percentage in a calendar year, then then what that number tells you. A good process over time will beget success. And a past performance number is really just a number in a vacuum that is not super useful. Another question you might ask an advisor if you wanted to understand about their investment process would be, how does tax planning impact your investment approach? And what are the 
tax optimizing steps you're taking in order to help an investor succeed? And how might this apply to my circumstances? There's a number of things that a tax savvy advisor is going to help you do. Tax loss harvesting is an example. Asset location is an example. Using low turnover strategies is an example. And being able to understand more about each of these. And frankly, as an investor, you're going to need to do some due diligence to understand what these ideas mean and to ask an advisor about how they're implemented. But there are ways that an advisor can add a lot of value in terms of proactive tax strategies through smart investing that can reliably add to performance over time. That tells you more about future expected returns than past performance does. A focus on process in the future rather than outcome in the past is going to give you the most useful data as an investor for how you want to make a decision and with whom you want to work. In conclusion, when you're an investor, you want to consider what are the things within your control, or even if you're working with an advisor, what are the things within that advisor's control and what is outside of that advisor's control? Things within your control, things within the advisor's control could include whether or not you engage an advisor, what the expense ratios are of the investments you're buying, the the fees, the internal fees associated with the component parts of your investment portfolio. Are they high or are they low? Are they five basis points or 10 basis points? 10 basis points, by the way, is 0.1%. So a basis point is one one hundredth of a percent. So if you hear a finance person talking in terms of basis points, a basis point is just one percentage point of 1%. So That's a a relevant metric. What is the expense ratio on those investments? What is the amount of money you're saving each year, also known as your savings rate? What percentage of the money you earn is going into investments? That's going to be a huge indicator of future financial success. Others are what types of accounts are you using? Are you using Roth IRAs or taxable accounts or a solo 401k or other investment types or account types, I should say? Another question is whether or not you are tax loss harvesting, whether or not you are using Asset location, which types of investments are going in which accounts? That's what asset location means based on the tax efficiency. What a good advisor is going to put tax efficient investments in taxable accounts and tax inefficient investments in tax free or tax deferred accounts, your Roth IRA, your 401k, your SEP IRA, etc. Those are things that you can do that are within your control that will add to your return over time. Diversification is another one. Are you diversified across geographic region, across industries, across companies of different sizes, etc.? Those are all things within your control that you should ask about to understand what does this mean in the future as far as what can I expect with portfolio construction and ultimately the very, very far down the line derivative output of portfolio performance. Which, by the way, one more side note on portfolio performance, it's really only understood in the context of a a multi-year, sometimes a many-year retrospective look back. So even if I'm underperforming for a year or three years or five years, a good manager in some cases can make up just in one quarter or in six months, five years worth of underperformance. (laughs) Because when the stock market crashes and they crash less, they go down only half as much, sometimes they can make up that entire underperformance. So it really does take a full economic cycle, five years, 10 years, 12 years or more, to understand performance, which is another reason it's, you know, it's fungible. 
it's it's difficult to understand. It's not always the same. An economic cycle doesn't even have a concrete technical definition. So asking about performance, and even if an advisor gave you a number answer to that, it just doesn't tell you very much. So those are the things inside your control. The things that are outside your control are things not worth asking about. They might impact your portfolio's performance. I mean, they definitely will in most cases, but they're not things that you or your advisor can or should be expected to do anything about. For example, is the S&P down 25% this year or up 25%? Is the Fed going to raise rates or lower rates next quarter or next week? Is Facebook getting sued by the FTC because they've been deemed to be a monopoly and they're going to get broken into pieces or not? Is Rivian going to be able to supplant Tesla in terms of electric car production and your individual stock picking is going to try to create some value there? These are things that are impossible for the everyman to predict. And when you get that granular where you're looking at individual stocks and very specific questions, all of a sudden you find yourself competing against very well-resourced companies with massive supercomputers that are plugged into the Wall Street mainframe that are, you know, doing high frequency algorithmically based trading. And you're just not playing a game you can win at that point. When you expand the time horizon, when you reduce your costs, when you create broad diversification, these are ways that you can create a game with rules where you can win, where you can build wealth over time because you're not in a hyper-competitive zero sum. Is Tesla more up or more down than Rivian, et cetera? It's, It's a much more friendly kind of game. And a smart advisor is going to help you tailor the rules of this game in a way that an investor over the long term can succeed. So when you're thinking about investments, when you're thinking about performance, don't think about the lag indicators, i.e. what happened in the past, your performance. Think about the lead indicators, fees, process, diversification, and liquidity. Check out the show notes for this one. And this week, I'm going to include a couple resources. And you can also go to the apmsuccess.com slash resources page, where I have a number of additional links and reading for folks that want to learn more about investment process and due diligence. Thanks as always for tuning in. Talk to you next week. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.